Welcome to the Wear Wag Repeat Podcast. I'm Tori Mystic, here with my dog Lucy. Together we're interviewing cool, creative women entrepreneurs whose work is inspired by their dogs. Do you dream of working alongside your dog? Then sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. On this episode, meet a woman who adopted a dog while serving the Peace Corps in Africa, only to get home and realize that highly processed American dog food made her pup sick. One day, she found a flyer for a dog food cooking class, and it's fair to say that that class changed her life. Listen to hear how she turned her home-cooked recipes into a business. Emily Lagasse is the founder and CEO of Fedwell Pet Foods, a Boston-based company offering the only 100% natural pet food on the market. Fedwell products are based on Emily's home-cooked recipes that she used to heal her African dog Fenway after he got sick upon their return from the Peace Corps service in Togo. Every gently baked bag of Fedwell contains recognizable ingredients anyone would be proud to serve their family. Fedwell is currently carried in specialty pet stores across New England and on Fedwell.com. She's also preparing to launch her first retail store in the Boston area to help pet parents fully address their pet health needs. <laughs> hey, Emily. Hey. You have a lot going on. I do, yes. This is exciting. I'm excited to talk with you. And actually, we met through um, a, a former podcast guest that I had on, Jen Sotolongo. Um, so how do you know Jen? She's of the blog Long Haul Trekkers. You know, I almost forget how Jen and I initially got introduced. I think it was kind of a connection like this where someone said, you two have to meet. And, you know, Jen is traveling or travels frequently around the country and other countries with her dog, Sora, and she had interviewed me for their blog. And that was kind of how we started our relationship. But since then, we continue to network and put each other in touch with really cool people in the space. That's awesome. Yeah, you guys are both world travelers and dog lovers. So yes, a lot lot to talk about. about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about, um, you know, Let's let's rewind way back to when you were in the Peace Corps and you met this little pup and sort of like the origin story of of Fedwell and Fenway and Emily. How how did you guys all come to be these three things all together? Yeah, well, I joined the Peace Corps in 2008 and I began my service in June of 2008. And I knew even before I left for Togo, I was pretty sure if it was at all possible, I would be getting a dog while I was there. I'd wanted a dog my whole life, had never grown up with dogs, and it just seemed like a really great opportunity to bring a dog into my life at a point when I would be very alone in a very rural place um, and have a lot of time to devote to training a dog and raising a dog. It just seemed like the right time. Um, So when I got to Togo in June of 2008, I had that in my mind. And then in December of 2008, I actually got Fenway, um, December 30th, 2008, and brought him back to my little village in West Africa, no running water, no electricity. Um, So we lived in my little house and, you know, it was a great experience. It was a great place to raise a dog. I really didn't have anything of value that he could ruin as a puppy. And so (laughs) it was a very easy uh, puppyhood where he could be outside playing a lot and with me all the time. That's awesome. Um, So when did you guys come back to the United States? So my service was 27 months. Um, So we, and I stayed a little bit longer. We ended up coming back September, 2010. 
And shortly after we got back, um, you know, there were a lot of adjustments for both of us because I hadn't been home the whole time I was there. And, you know, there was a lot of adjustments. He had never seen, for example, a glass door, sliding glass door. So it took a little while for us to train him that he couldn't just like charge through those. He had never heard a doorbell. He had never heard a phone ring. You know, there were all these, these differences in his life here, but he quickly adjusted Um, The thing that he ended up having the most trouble with was the diet here, Mm -hmm. Uh, because when I was in Togo, he was eating a lot of rice and beans, a lot of locally grown produce, a lot of fresh foods. And, you know, when I came here, immediately I took him to the vet to make sure all his vaccines were up to date and just kind of get a a full range of uh, baseline tests for him and started feeding him foods that the vets were recommending. And he just, his health just really declined after he started eating a commercial diet. Oh, wow. So, okay. So previously when you guys were in Togo, he was just kind of eating whatever you were eating pretty much. So it was all human grade. It was all fresh, um, stuff from around the area. Um, so, so I think for anyone, it would be a huge adjustment to, um, start eating heavily processed food with preservatives and, all that kind of stuff. So you started making him food, I guess? Yeah. Well, after a few months of just, you know, seeing how melancholy he was, you know, he went from this vibrant puppy running around all the time to just a, kind of a subdued sub- subdued pup who, you know, had stomach issues. He had allergies. You could just tell he wasn't himself. Um, and so I kept saying, you know, I wish... I knew what I could cook for him that would satisfy all the nutritional needs that he has. And I went out for uh, lunch with a friend and we sat at a table and there was a bulletin, ball, bulletin board right on the side of the wall here. And it had a flyer that said, learn how to cook for your dog. So, so I took one of the uh, tabs and I went to the class and learned a lot and started cooking for him. Oh my gosh, that's like fate. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of one of those things where it's like, you know, it was meant to be, and, um, you know, if I hadn't taken that class, I'm not sure I ever would have gone down this path. Right. So I'm just curious, like, did the did any of the vets or anybody have any recommendations of, like, eating a raw diet or anything like that? Um, the vets didn't steer me in that direction, but a lot of the store owners tried to. You know, they, they were trying to help me find something that he would be less reactive on. And I did try raw diets. You know, I tried dehydrated diets. I tried frozen diets. I tried baked diets, extruded diets. I mean, I tried them all. Um, but unfortunately, it just, you know, at that time, it was not what was right for him. He just wasn't doing well. Right. And I think that, like, right now, it, you, can, you can hardly go on any kind of dog website or blog without hearing about raw food like that is one of like the hot topics right now and I almost feel like people talk about it as like it like will solve all of your problems (laughs) like every day will be sunny and gorgeous if you just feed your dog raw food but it doesn't work for everyone um like I could never make my own raw food at home just I'm not comfortable having that much raw meat in my refrigerator because I don't really eat meat that much myself anyhow um and so it's interesting to see like some of the other solutions that people come up with um because you know that like uh it's almost like um like people who do crossfit and do these extreme like paleo diets like the extreme solution isn't always right for everyone so um you sort of found what was best for your dog and it's working really well for other dogs too i guess right 
Yeah, I would say any kind of diet like that is hard to sustain for for either people or dogs. Um, but you know, it does have you do have to find a diet that fits with your lifestyle and and the way that you want to care for your dog and checking in to to monitor their health and you know there are there are diets out there that work for different dogs better than others for sure. Yeah, sure. So okay, so you came up with this with this food. You took this class, and Fenway started to feel a lot better. And so, why did you decide that you wanted to like start a whole entire business and <laughs> feed every dog in the world? <laughs> well, it wasn't overnight. That is for sure. Um, yeah. So it was a slow progression. You know, I started cooking for him myself. I got really into the whole science of it because it's not, you know, a lot of people will write me and say, well, I cook my dog chicken and rice. And I say, well, you know, that's, I think your heart's in the right place in terms of trying to cook for your dog at home, but there are a lot of nutrients that dogs need to get. So if you are cooking at home, it's important to rotate uh, various protein sources and vegetables and really make sure that they get the full broad range of nutrients that they need. Um, so, you know, I just learned a lot through that experience of cooking at home and also it was incredibly difficult to plan all those meals and buy all of the produce that I need and cook it all and separate it all and freeze some and keep some in the fridge. It was, you know, it was a lot of work. Um, and through that experience, you know, maybe six months later, Fenway's doing great. Um, I really believed in what I was feeding him and, you know, other people started asking me, what do you feed your dog? Why is Fenway doing so great now? What, what changes did you make? And through my conversations with people at dog parks and parties realized that, you know, people really ideally would love to feed their dog in the way that I was feeding them, but didn't have the time or resources to do it. So when I realized that there really was a need there, I started thinking, well, how could I kind of scale up what I'm doing in my kitchen to feed more dogs? And, you know, I looked at all different kinds of processes. I looked at like, oh, well, I could go to a commercial kitchen and do what I'm doing in my kitchen at a much larger scale and try and sell that. I could make a dehydrated product. I could, you know, try all these different things. But what I what I really ended up on was I really wanted to focus on making what I put out as close as possible to what I was doing in my kitchen. And the only way that I found that I could do that was by baking my product. Um, because I also found that people really wanted a shelf stable solution. You know, I think as we were talking about lifestyle and dog food diets, you know, it's, it's tough to have fresh food for your dogs all the time, you know, especially if it requires refrigeration and portioning and, um, having this dry product, this shelf stable product that has, an ingredient label very similar to something that you can make at home that you just need to scoop and measure was uh, very attractive to people. So that is what I ended up putting out there. So how... Hey there, sorry to interrupt, but I'd love to see what you're doing while you catch up with the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode in your podcast player or snap a selfie with your earbuds in and share it to your Instagram stories. I'll keep an eye out for mentions and would love to give you a shout out from my own account. Okay, now back to the interview. So how did you find like a factory or a facility um, that made this for you? That is probably one of the, the biggest hurdles in starting this company. Um, you know, most dog food is extruded. And there are a fair number of extrusion facilities around the what country. What does extruded that, mean? 
<laughs> it's um, it's just a type of machinery and, and equipment. Um, a lot of plastic pieces are made by extrusion. Pasta is made by extrusion. It looks like that Play-Doh piece, you know, that where the, the Play-Doh kind of comes through this wheel and you chop it at the end and you okay. get all the different sizes. Um, so it's popular using um, for, for use of dog food, uh, but it's a very high heat, high pressure, very quick process. You can make, you know, tens of thousands of pounds very, very quickly. Um, but for me, that wasn't the route that I wanted to go. It wasn't the right type of process to make the product that I wanted. I really wanted to focus on a baked product. And there just aren't that many places that bake dog food. So I had to explore doing it myself. Um, didn't have, you know, the right capabilities to do that as it turns out. Um, but I ended up what I did was I would go to the retail stores and I would look on the back of all the packaging of dog biscuits that were baked and I would call the companies and I would say, you know, do you have your own facilities or does someone else bake this for you? And sometimes they would tell me and sometimes they wouldn't and I would just follow down those leads. So sometimes they would say, oh, well, we are, we use a bakery in Nebraska, and but they wouldn't tell me who. So then I would have to call the Chamber of Commerce in Nebraska and say, is there a dog food bakery in your state? And they would kind of help <laughs> me figure it out. Or I would call people who made dog food packaging and I would say, which manufacturers do you ship to? Because I'm trying to find a manufacturer. So it's like you have to reverse engineer the process to find a manufacturer for you. Wow, that's really interesting. And you have to definitely be driven and passionate about what you're doing because it sounds like a lot of legwork. It's a lot of detective work. It took me, I would say that whole search and even just figuring out how to get the product made and finding someone to make it for me took a year. Wow. So, yeah. And so that whole time, like, did you recruit other dogs to test recipes out or was Fenway sort of like the main taste tester for Fedwell? How did you like figure out what kind of recipe you were going to produce when you did finally find someone to make it? Well, Fenway's always been the number one taste tester, always will be. Um, you know, I did, especially at first when I was kind of trying to figure out what format to make the food in and, and what protein source I wanted to go with, I would make these little samples at home and use a dehydrator and bring them to dog parks and events and test them out and take surveys. Um, but because it was such a palatable product, because it was real food and it was minimally processed, I mean, 100% of the dogs loved the food, which is uh, kind of unusual. But after I got enough feedback that dogs really loved the taste of it, I didn't feel like I needed to keep testing it. What was more important was the food science be behind actually making the product um, because I really needed to make sure that whatever came out of the machine after the production run really hit all the nutrient specs that dogs need to live a healthy and balanced life. Um, you know, which is why it's, it's hard to make food at home because you really need to make sure that they get this array of nutrients. Right. It's a lot of pressure, I think, on you. And I, I think a lot of people do make their dogs chicken and rice, like you said. Um, and maybe that's okay if they're sick for a day or two, but that's not enough for them yeah. to, to have a healthy life for a long term. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's definitely nice to have a product that you can just scoop out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like to, I like to guide people to think about their dog's diet and the way that they would think about their own. So, you know, we feel best when we eat a variety 
of foods, you know, different nutrients coming from different sources and the higher quality produce and the less processed it is, the better we feel and the healthier we feel. And you can apply that same logic to your dogs too. Right. So, um, so I think instead of, in addition to just food, you're also now exploring supplements and kind of like whole body wellness for dogs. So tell us a little bit about that because, um, you know, my dog, I, I've always had Labradors. And so everyone, you know, is always recommending glucosamine, chondroitin. And I've always kept my dogs on stuff like that. But it seems like there's just so many different supplements on the market that are designed for all sorts of different benefits. So um, how did you go about coming up with something like that? Yeah, well, it really was through feedback through a lot of customers and a lot of potential customers who would see me on a TV show or um, hear about the food from a friend and would call and write and say, you know, my dog has XYZ ailment. Is your food going to help with that? And after talking to so many people about so many of the issues that they were experiencing with their dogs or cats, um, it really helped me understand that, you know, vets were really great at diagnosing the issue and prescribing necessary medications, um, but that people were struggling with what else can I do? How else can I further support my pet? And, and to your point, you know, maybe, you know, glucosamine may help your certain breed or prevent certain issues, but then it's a matter of, well, which brand do I buy and how much am I giving? Mm -hmm. And can I trust this company? Um, is this safe for my dog? Um, So what I realized was, you know, food is certainly a major component in any health and wellness plan. And, you know, I want to continue to put out foods that will help people address various health needs. But further, I want to help people support these ongoing issues, even prevent issues um, from happening by supplementing the whole dog, whether that be with whole food supplements like bee pollen or bone broth, um, or it could be things like glucosamine. Yeah. So another thing that like I always ha- that I've been seeing lately, and I just got an email today from a major pet store about toppers. Um, mm-hmm. And if people aren't familiar with what a topper is, it's basically kind of. They're, I mean, they're marketed as like something to make your dog's food more appealing to like lure them to eat it. But it sounds like your food is already pretty appealing <laughs> <laughs> to begin with. But like a, a bone broth, like topper is like something that you could do, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. Bone broth has a lot of benefits. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people who put, we, we currently sell a dehydrated bone broth that you just reconstitute with water. And a lot of people will put that right on top of their dog's food. It's obviously very palatable, um, and a delicious supplement for them. So what are some of the benefits of bone broth? Like why would someone want to add that to their dog's food? Well, it's been proven to actually support your immune system in a a bunch of different ways. Um, It also has a lot of benefits on gut health. So they've done some studies and, you know, leaky gut is a thing that people have been throwing around um, where nutrients actually seep out of your your gut and you're not able to absorb nutrients properly and it leads to a lot of um, declining health. And they've shown that the properties of bone broth actually help plug those holes um, and that that can actually help restore your ability to absorb all these nutrients. Oh, wow. I I did not know about that. I just thought it was kind of like a trendy hipster thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on. There there are lots of benefits. To me, that's the most important one in my mind because it's something that really 
heals from the inside out because once you can fix your gut health, uh, everything else kind of falls into line. Yeah, that's so interesting because I do think that the the toppers are mostly marketed, um, and and I guess bone broth's not what you'd ordinarily see as a topper, but it can be. Um, they're usually marketed as like something just to make your dog's food more delicious, and sometimes I think they kind of um, they try to like humanize your dog, like. They, they need something that tastes good. I'm like, my dog would eat a rock. Like, she doesn't <laughs> care. Um, yeah. But, but I think that it's interesting to know, like, how many additional nutritional benefits you could have with something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there are, there are little whole food supplements that you can add to your dog's diet that really do have some positive effects, you know, like, like bee pollen I mentioned yeah. or even goat's milk. Um, there are lots of little things that you can kind of give them that, that they think are treats. And, you know, they are. Mm-hmm. They can be. Um, but they also have really great health benefits. Bee pollen is on my list. Lucy and I went to Asheville, North Carolina in the fall. And they're really into bees there. Um, so we went to like a bee, uh, like a honey shop. And they had pollen and local honey and all sorts of stuff. And um, I learned a little bit about bee pollen and I get pretty bad allergies in the spring so that is that's on my list um I never considered giving it to Lucy but um since we do everything together maybe we'll both have some bee pollen (laughs) yeah I mean it is really great for seasonal allergies and it can be it can be really helpful for dogs in that way it also is packed with I think it's one of one of the only if not the only whole food supplement that contains like the broadest spectrum of vitamins and minerals like it's I mean it's definitely a superfood you get you get your bang for your buck if you're taking bee pollen yeah well I'm gonna look into that that's a good a good thing to figure out this spring it seems very timely um okay so I was wondering um because I've heard a lot of like different rumors and people talking about things are there any regulations or like approval like is there an FDA for the dog industry when you're making treats and food so treats and food are treated a little treated, <laughs> treated a little bit differently. Um, so treats are a little less regulated. Um, you know, the people can. It also varies by state, but in general, uh, people can make treats in their home and sell them uh, in retail and in farmers markets. And really, um, with both food and treats, the biggest obstacle to getting a product made is actually making sure that you are hitting all of your labeling requirements. Mm -hmm. So if you notice on the back of um, any dog food bag, you'll see the ingredients listed and the guaranteed analysis and the calories and feeding instructions. So those are actually things that, you know, anytime you're making packaging or or product, you have to keep those things in mind and you actually have to get those approved in in various states. Um, so that's, that's as for me as a, um, brand, the biggest hurdle I have is making sure that my labeling is up to code, so to speak. And that's related to the States that I sell in. Um, but other than that facilities, you know, I haven't made the food myself for sale, but it is tougher, um, to do that. And I haven't pursued it myself, but I would imagine it is tougher to run the kind of facility that you would need to make food for sale like that. Um, but all the facilities have to be USDA inspected and, you know, it fits certain health codes and also depending on where the food is sold. If you sell out of the country, they also have to follow different regulations. So there are a lot of checks and balances in places to, to make sure that 
you know, food is made in a safe way, ingredients are stored in a safe way. Um, I know our food doesn't leave the manufacturer until it gets tested for salmonella. Um, So there are safeguards in place at these facilities to make sure that the food is prepared in a safe manner. Um, But really from a brand perspective as a company, um, obviously my biggest concern is making great products, but also making sure the labels fit all the requirements. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting and good to know if someone is interested in pursuing something down this path. Um, Yeah. Like the, the label details are very important. Yes. Yep. Um, okay, so let's, um, we're kind of getting near the end here, but I don't want to end before we talk about Fenway some more. We talked about them a little bit, but I want to hear more. Um, like, do you know what kind of dog he is? I know that he is just a wild African dog, um, but, uh, or not wild, but maybe he is a wild man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he's a little wild. I was actually just looking behind me because he's right. Oh, okay. (laughs) So he's like Uh, a medium-sized dog. Yeah, he's about 30 pounds um, and, you know, 27 pounds. So he – I don't know what kind of dog he is. I know Basenjis are a very popular breed in West Africa and Africa in general. He's probably part Basenji. When I look at pictures of him as a puppy uh, next to pictures of Basenji, I see a lot of – similar features. I know he also has some of the characteristics of the Senjis. Like Fenway rarely barks, but if the phone were to ring, he would start howling. And the Senjis are also very quiet, but also howl uh, for certain noises. Uh, he's definitely a hunter. If if you, people look at pictures of him, they think um, his, if they just see his face, they think he looks like a corgi, but he's actually taller than a corgi. Um, yeah. And he's a little different coloring. Yeah, so you know, and he has the white tip tail, and it's it's hard to know exactly what he is. I probably should get his DNA tested and see if we can dig a little deeper. But yeah. definitely a herding breed, um, and because of where we were in West Africa, it's hard to know exactly what he was because there weren't really any purebred dogs there. No, so. yeah, so he's a mix of all sorts of things. So yeah, what, what do you guys? What is your favorite thing to do together? That would be walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fenway loves to run in the woods. That's his favorite. You know, if it was just the two of us every day walking in the woods, any season, any weather, that's his favorite. Um, yeah, he just likes to be off leash and sniffing all around. And so coming, coming from Africa and then moving to Boston, what did he think of the snow? (laughs) So it's funny. We were very eager to see how he would react for the first snowfall. Um, and what's so interesting is when we were in Togo, obviously it was, you know, 90 degrees, hundred degrees every day. It was very hot and his coat was very thin. And so when we moved here in September in the fall, I kept thinking like, oh, we're going to need to get him a jacket. Cause he was even shivering in September when we moved here. I mean, I was too, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know, I felt more, felt more badly for him. Um, but what's so interesting is his hair actually grew longer. So for two years, he had this like very, very short coat. And as soon as we moved here, something in his genetics must have told him, you need to grow a longer coat. And so now he has a longer coat. That's so interesting, though. And I think that like just makes you think so much about like their heritage and like the wolf background that all of our dogs have. That's so cool. Yeah, but he does love the snow. I think 
you know, like all of us, he gets um, tired of it from time to time, you know, when it's like yes. the fifth, fifth morning walk in a row in like zero degrees with, you know, a foot of snow, it can get a little tiring on anybody's spirit. Yeah, or the but... fifth month in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But overall, I would say, you know, he enjoys frolicking in the snow. That's awesome. Well, it was so nice to, to meet you and to hear yep. all about Fenway. Um, tell everyone who's listening where they can find you and how they can buy your food, because I, I definitely want to try it, and I think some other people would, too. Yeah, well, everything that we sell is available on fedwell.com. And social media, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We do a lot of DIY videos on YouTube, just like you do. Yeah. Um, and then I'm opening a store that will carry all of our products that we currently have and really focus on um, supporting all those pet health needs. And that's opening in the Somerville, Massachusetts area, hopefully this spring. So, Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about the store. I should have asked you about that sooner <laughs> <laughs> that's all right stay but, tuned we'll yeah have more details later we can do another podcast to be continued it's a cliffhanger yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you so much for your time today emily and um i look forward to to watching some of your diy videos and, and hearing more about the store too okay sounds great thank you Thank you for listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. You can fetch show notes for this episode at wearwagrepeat.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, Lucy and I will see you around the dog park.